I'd like to try something real quick. You ready? Y'all be listening now. Y'all pay attention. Be ready. And all God's people said. <laughs> I feel like a preacher now, y'all. Watch out. I'm going to get it. How we doing? Good. I'm sweating. Just letting you know how I'm doing, too. Hey, my name is Nathan Loxley, and I'm a pastor here at 24 Church. <clears throat> and it is going to be an interesting sermon today. Um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, and this is not to like make any excuses, but just to kind of show you what a dumb dumb I am. Um, so all week I've been <clears throat> wanting to preach John 8, 1 through 11. I kept seeing these parentheses around it in the, in the Bible. I'm like, man, I wonder what that means. Oh, well, I'll just keep reading it and studying it. So about eight o'clock, I'm looking back over my notes to preach today. I'm like, man, this is, this is like right there. I'm good where it is feeling good about it. And then I realize all of a sudden what those parentheses are about. It's basically telling me that it's a passage that, uh, that isn't found in the earliest of manuscripts. And there's, there's a, a few of these passages in the scriptures. Long story short, I vowed like six or seven years ago that I wouldn't preach passages like that. So about 8.30 last night, after I'd got through like throwing things and crying a little, I decided, okay, you got to settle in and preach on something else. And I feel like God has led me to do this. So it's not to like make excuses. Um, in fact, you might like it. It might be a short one today. But I think that what we're going to be talking about is uh, it relates to every single one of us. Um, if you were here a few weeks ago, I preached and I preached about fishing, um, which is like one of my favorite things in the world. And it probably is some of your favorite things too. But today we're going to preach about something that I like even more than fishing. Today, we're going to learn about food, and food is one of my favorite things. Anybody else fan of food? Anybody fan of food? All right, cool. Um, and I think that what we're going to talk about today is like everybody likes. There's not many people that aren't going to like bread, All right? Uh, and I want you to think, think back. I remember when I was a child, and I went to Olive Garden for the first time ever, right? You remember this? And you ate one of those garlic sticks, like a... a Right? Remember? The first time you ate one? Now it's like, eh, eh, whatever. But when I was a kid, I literally thought that Jesus himself had baked them. <laughs> Buttery, garlic, delicious, not too big, not too small. It dips in soup. It's the perfect carrier of gluten. And for any of you who can't eat gluten anymore, I'm so sorry for you and I hope that you repent of your sins and God heals you of your gluten <laughs> sensitivities because, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't, it'd be hard to live without gluten. Pasta? Man, Olive Garden made a big effect on me. I don't know if you realize that. but <laughs> Pasta, bread, man, amazing good stuff. And there's something about, like, even the concept of bread that, like, you smell it bacon and what you have to comment, you stop. Like no one ever walked by like an oven or into a house or whatever it might be and smelled cinnamon rolls baking and went, ew. <laughs> like no one does that. And so I figure why not today, let's tackle this concept of bread. And it's fun, funny because it's all the way through the scriptures, which just lets me know that what I thought was gluttony is just following the word. All right. <laughs> it's easy to justify sin. 
If you don't have a Bible today, raise your hand. We're going to get you one. There's going to be an usher that comes by. He, will, he or she will hand you one. And um, man, if you don't own a Bible, take it home with you. We want to give that to you um, because man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word of the mouth of God. There you go. See, bread stuff. That's what we're going to be hitting today. And when you get that Bible, or if you have your own, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to start up in verse 13. But all I know is that if you have an ESV and you're looking at it, the heading, anybody, the heading right before chapter 16 starts, it like grabbed me right off the bat. It says, bread from heaven. And it's like, I'm reading this, right? Bread from heaven. Exodus 16, we're going to start in verse 13. It says this. We're going to read a little bit of this so we can understand what's going on. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms, I love this word, and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. Right? So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. All right, so real quick, this is what we got going on. We'll get to that one in just a second. Oh, no, no, let's read that, verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So here's this passage where we see the people of God in the wilderness. They've just come out of Egypt, all right? If, if, you, if you've read Exodus before, if you remember what's going on here, they were <clears throat> slaves in Egypt building the Pharaoh's buildings and who knows, pyramids and whatnot, all right? And so God has delivered them out of, out of Egypt, with these plagues, remember that? And the last one was what? 
I can't, I mean, if you don't talk loud, I can't hear you. Huh? Yeah, death of the firstborn. So the angel of the Lord comes through. And what, ha- what does God tell his people to do to be exempt from this death angel, if you will, that kills the firstborn son? Right? He puts, you put blood over the door, and you eat this meal. Right? And what is this meal eventually called? The Passover. Right? Because the angel of the Lord passed over any house that had the blood of the lamb on the lentils. We're getting to Jesus yet. I mean, come on. Do you see, see where we're going here? But he instituted the Passover. Guess what they ate at the Passover? Bread. <laughs> Not the great kind. It was unleavened. But still, it's bread and we'll eat it. Okay? So there's some bread for you. But this is where they've come out of. They come out of Egypt. <clears throat> they start wandering kind of in the desert. They're, I'll go ahead and put this out here. They're not the smartest folk, all right? They remind me of us um, a little bit, but they've seen some crazy stuff. They've seen all these plagues hit Egypt. They've been delivered out of slavery. They are, as they leave, God is leading his people by a cloud, a pillar of clouds by day and a pillar of fire by night. Can you imagine that? Literally, a pillar of swirling, blazing, hot fire that's leading you through the desert at night. <laughs> like, exactly where they want to go. They don't have to have a map. They don't have to have anything. He's providing a way for them. In fact, when Pharaoh decides that he's angry and wants to go kill all of them, like, God splits the Red Sea. They walk through it on dry ground. And then... Pharaoh's army is swallowed up by the same sea. They've seen some pretty eh, wild stuff. You get it? So now we get to this spot where they're hungry. <laughs> That's basically what's happening. They're complaining. And some of them, these dum-dums, are even saying, well, we had food when we were slaves. At least we had food. We should go back to Egypt. Mm-mm-mm. So God's like, okay. All right, I'll give you food. It's the wilderness. It's hostile. It's not like they can just grow some tomatoes, right? This is a place that is desolate. Desolate. I mean, when you see pictures of like world news that are coming across from places like Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever that might be, this is what we're looking like. It is desolate. So God says, okay, time for a miracle. I'll give you exactly what you need, food. So every single night, what happens? quail descend on the camp. Now, I can imagine this being kind of like Alfred Hitchcock, the birds, right? Can you imagine this? Just coveys and coveys of desert quail everywhere. And I don't know if they're already like, like dead and butchered up and like ready to, to like put in an oven or what. But anyway, there's quail everywhere. And here's the amazing thing. And this is why I think he spends so much more time on it, talking about it. This amazing bread shows up with the dew every morning. So the dew falls, and as it kind of burns away, they start seeing what they call this flake-like substance. Now, I don't know about you, but the description of this stuff, this flake-like, I can just imagine this like super thin, deliciously crunchy, crispy, what, crispy cream? Don't you go there, I'll sin. I'll sin. Did not have a cake at my wedding for me, had donuts. Like, 
I love donuts very much. So yeah, let's just say manas like donuts. Um, no, it's this thin, and they say it's a wafer like honey. And if you think about it, in their time, there's nothing better than honey. Nothing. It's something that they would have to like fight for to get. They'd have to reach up into a hole in some craggy rock somewhere and fight a bunch of bees to get. It's the only thing that's probably sweet in their entire world other than some desert fruit somewhere. Like, honey is something to be prized. That's why the land of Canaan, which eventually they'll get to, is called the land of milk and honey. It was representative of something very, of plenty, of luxury. And this stuff literally tastes like the best tasting thing in the world that they've ever had. Okay? Here's the cool thing. So it, 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 this is kind of breaking down what it said there. It, it, it's there every morning, and they go and get it. The interesting thing is if they pick up too much of it, if they get too much, more than they, sh- they need, it'll rot. And like worms will Im- Im- like immediately show up and eat it. And the only time that they can pick up more than a day's worth of it is on the day before the Sabbath, on the sixth day. And that way they, they don't go out on the seventh day and pick up food. That would be considered work. God doesn't want them to do that. He wants them to observe the Sabbath. So for one day a week, they pick up twice as much as they need for a day, and it lasts, and it doesn't get eaten up by worms, and it don't stink. Okay? That's what the Bible says, it don't stink. So this is manna. They called it manna. Now, I want you to think about how absolutely incredible that is. This is not fiction. This really happened Could you imagine walking outside every morning and it's basically your yard is a grocery store? Every single day. And it goes on to say that for 40 years, every single day, without fail, there was manna. God provided sustenance for them in a place that was barren. In a wilderness, he gave them life. He literally sustained them. And we talk about that word sustain, like we could even pray that God sustain us. We could sing it in songs, God sustain us. And in a lot of ways, we're talking spiritually because in America, we have plenty, don't we? We don't really, there's, there's not many in this room that on a daily basis are going to be struggling with hunger, These people literally would have starved to death in a week, two weeks, all of them dead, thousands upon thousands of people. But God provided them exactly what they needed. Not just what they needed, like nutritionally speaking on stuff, but the exact amount even, daily. And there is so much symbolism in that. There's a reason that he didn't just like let them pick up as much as they wanted and it stayed good for the whole time. No, he, he literally was teaching them over and over that I am going to give you what you need. If you're a note taker, write that down, that he is going to provide exactly what you need. And not just what they needed. It wasn't just, just enough. It was exactly the right amount. And not just exactly the right amount, but it was delicious. <laughs> it was something for them to enjoy. It was literally proof that God cares for them. It's proof that God is for their good. And every single day when they woke up and walked out of their tent door, 
Right? Every single day, the proof that God loved them was sitting on the ground. Manna is not just something that we need to skip over. It's huge. It speaks to the character and nature of the eternal God who still is acting that way, who is still providing, still sustaining everything that his people need for today. said it a minute ago in a minute, but they're not the smartest of people. Turn with me to Psalm 78. We're going to start in verse 23 and go through, I think, 25. Skip around. Psalm 78, verse 23. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Isn't that a cool picture? Like, just real quick. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing, cool, like, picture? Just literally, it's like he's painted a picture. Think about that. He opened the doors of heaven, commanded the skies above. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. This isn't just some scrub meal. This ain't McDonald's, all right? That's not what this is. This is literally the grain of heaven, the food of angels. And it says, and he uses this language on purpose. He rained it down on them in abundance. They had everything they could ever want. And we skip forward to verse 32, and it says, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. God has just taken these people out of Egypt, out of slavery, in the most absurd and insane ways. They literally saw the second largest river in the world turn to blood. They saw hordes of locusts, hordes of frogs. They saw the sun blotted out. And I don't mean just a little eclipse and eclipse. I don't mean it. literally the sun was gone. It was dark for days. And they heard the screams of all the firstborn of Egypt as they were passed over. And they were delivered from slavery and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground led by a pillar of fire. And God rained down bread from heaven every day to provide for them every single day. And they still sinned. And they saw every bit of this stuff, and they didn't believe. And it is super easy to look at that and go, they're dumb. I'm I'm doing that right now. These people are dumb. The Bible calls them hard-necked. Stiff-necked, excuse me. I call them (laughs) hard-headed. Could you imagine seeing a miracle like this over and over and over and over and still 
you don't believe that God is good? See, what happens soon after this is they get tired of the manna. They get tired of this God. This God, just they're wandering through the desert. And so the second Moses leaves them to go up on Mount Sinai, they say, we're going to make a God for ourselves. And they collect all the gold that they can, and they melt it down, and they get Moses' brother, because he's a goldsmith, and they get him, and he builds them a calf, a bull, what we see in the rest of the Old Testament as a bale. And they worship it. They sing to it, and they dance around it, and they sacrifice to it. This gold statue. After everything that they've seen, miracles that you can't imagine, sights and wonders to behold, and they make a stinking piece of metal and worship it and say, this is our God. See, the manna to them, had become bland. What once was delicious had now become normal. They'd forgotten how good it was. They'd forgotten how good the provider of it was. They started to literally doubt God's goodness. And the first time we ever see that with food is in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they doubt that God really is as good as he says he was, that he really can do his job well, and they say, no, we can do it better. So what do they do? They eat. They've literally got everything they could imagine to eat. The best plants in the whole garden they have to eat, but the only, that one, that one that God said don't eat, that's the one that they want to go eat. Because the rest of it has lost its flavor to them. It has become bland. They have doubted its goodness. And therefore, they have doubted its creator's goodness. And the Israelites are doing the exact same thing. They see manna as a burden. I mean, and think about it. Have you ever eaten something every single day? I did in college. Anybody in college? Peanut butter is your friend in college? That and ramen. If you, if you had like some extra dough that you didn't spend on DVDs or something, something like that, I don't, that was a big deal when I was like there in college, like, oh, new DVDs, you know. Uh, but if you didn't have that, then if you had a little more money, you could like afford the little single serving Kraft macaroni and cheeses. And at that point, it's like I'm living high on the hog right here, all right? But you ever eat it every day? What happens? It can turn something that you absolutely love into something you hate. It becomes bland. You know what to expect. There's no more surprises. It just ain't good no more, right? Maybe not Olive Garden. I don't know, I could probably do Olive Garden every day. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Some of y'all are going to run out of here to go eat. I know that. Let's beat the Methodist. No, okay. Hey, I guarantee you there are people, there's, there's butts in these seats that have literally thought that, haven't they? Yeah, you've thought it. Man, we got to get on here. Stop preaching, Chris. Dadgummit. we got to beat the Methodists. 
We know they love that Mexican food. <laughs> uh, you can tell them I said that. Uh, <laughs> but it starts to get old. It starts to get old. And that's exactly what starts happening here. But we look at it, it's easy for me to go, man, dude, it's literally raining down from the sky. Manna seems like it would be the most delicious thing ever. Imagine the most delicious meal you've ever had. That's what you get to eat every day. It would take a long time for that to become mundane. It would take a long time for that to seem bland. But that is what is happening over and over and over with these people. The most interesting fact is though they still sinned, God kept giving them the manna. They made a bull and worshiped it instead of God. And you know what he did? He gave them bread for the next day. If you would, turn to John 6 with me. This is Jesus. He's just fed the 5,000. Crazy cool miracle. Involves bread. You should read it. And now these people are like coming after him, like everywhere, and they're going, hey, man, what do you have for us today? And he basically calls them out and says, your only reason you're really following me around is to get fed. You like a free meal. So after all that said, we're going to pick it up in verse 31. I'm going to start in verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Okay? We just talked about wonders and signs that God did and the people didn't believe. Okay? That was in Exodus 16. And in Psalm 78. Here we go in John 6. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is an easy one. This is like an alley-oop of all alley-oops. It is easy to see Jesus in the Old Testament in Exodus 16 when he literally says, I am manna. And God, through this manna, was saying, I am going to send you this bread of life that you will never have to have more tomorrow. You will eat it once and it's all you will need. It will be exactly what you need. It will provide for you. It will sustain for you. And we see clearly that this is Jesus. Would you agree? At least this is what Jesus is claiming. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Eat from me, you'll never hunger again. I am the water. 
You drink from me, you'll never thirst again. It's the promise of God fulfilled when manna began. I will provide for my people. Jesus says, I am what he was talking about. I am your manna. I'm not just up here to like show you a cool connection between Exodus 16 and John 6, even though it's really, really cool. And even from what I've said already, that God loves his people, cares for his people, and he proves it by providing the bread, I could easily just end it right here and say, yep, Jesus is that bread and you need Jesus. And that would be 100% perfect. Like It would be perfect to say that, to leave you with that, because that's what you need. God gives you what you need. It's Jesus. I could end right there. But here's the question for you today, church, because this is the question that kept me awake all night last night. Has Jesus become bland? What God has given you that once was so delicious and so beautiful and so great and met every single one of your needs, have you become tired of eating it? I can't answer that question for you. You need to ask it to yourself. Has Jesus become bland to me? Is the gospel just another meal? For some of you in this room, that doesn't matter because you've never eaten the bread of life believed on Jesus, that he is the son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died in your place on a cross, atoned for your sins and offers you forgiveness. If you would believe in him and confess him as Lord, he was raised from the dead and he will bring you eternal life. See, you haven't trusted in Jesus yet. And so you've never experienced that. You've never eaten of the bread and the life. And for you, I'll just say this. David says it perfectly. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Believe on Jesus. That's what I'm going to say to you today. There is life in him and you will never hunger again. You will always be satisfied because he's the perfect meal. But Christian, for you today, Is Jesus still good enough? I don't know about you, but I find myself eating out all the time. And I mean spiritually speaking. I'm going around looking for all the other meals I can get because honestly, sometimes Jesus just becomes bland. It's like I don't get full I don't feel satisfied, so I go chasing after other food. That food for you might be, I don't know, it might be success. It might be control. It might be money. It might be possessions. It might just be happiness in general. It could be the the next big thing, something that excites you, but you're constantly looking. It's just like hunger. Every single day, you got to eat, and you can't really satisfy it, but just for a few minutes. And you got to eat again three times a day, right? 
And tomorrow, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to eat three more times a day. So you're constantly looking for something to satisfy your hunger. But the only problem is, is that spiritually speaking here, everything that you're going to find that satisfies your hunger is just going to lead you to be hungry again later. You're still going to have to eat tonight. You're still going to have to eat tomorrow. But Jesus is saying to you, come to me, eat of me. You'll never hunger again. And he's not just offering himself up as like some bread on the ground. He's saying, I am a feast. I have everything that you need. And in my right hand is joy. Pleasures forevermore, David says. But church, we keep eating and eating. And honestly, what we're eating is slop compared to Jesus. Just like the prodigal son, we're eating out of the pig troughs. So my point Am I trying to leave you guilty today? Like, am I trying to make you feel, no, not at all. Not at all. Today I want you to see this, that what you're eating now will only lead to your death. Jesus is good enough. He is not bland. You need him every single day, and he will continually, more and more, pour into you life and that that is abundant. So what we're about to do here in a minute is to take communion together. Bread. <laughs> not very good, I'll admit. We're not serving up the, the, the Olive Garden breadsticks today. That's a thought. Yeah, okay. But we're going to take communion today. And, and we've been taking communion now for oh, probably two months every single week. And so I just feel like it's important for, for me to, to say this. Has Jesus become bland to you? See, it's, it's real easy. And I've talked to several people, and I've felt the same way too, that this communion thing feels like it's routine. And it doesn't hold this special kind of feeling. It doesn't do the same thing for us when we take it every single week as it used to when we only took it like eight times a year. Let me ask you this. Has the sweetness and the goodness of communion changed or has your heart changed? Has the bread, has the manna become less delicious or is it just your heart that says, uh, it's bland because I eat it a lot? And this, this hit me hard last night. It was like, whoa, I'm convicted because I've started to like not eat of this table with you guys as we gather. I started to kind of just back off and not eat it every week because it's like, eh, I don't want it to become a habit. I don't want it to become a routine. But I am here to tell you this. What better meal to make a routine than that one? You're going to eat three a day every day, but that one right there is better for you than any of them. Today, remember this, that when Jesus says, I am the Passover lamb, that that bread is like manna from heaven. 
the truth as you take communion today to realize that Jesus became a firstborn son that was slain for you to be passed over. That is worth eating. And just like this meal, church, if we allow, if we allow the gospel, Jesus, the bread of life, to become bland to us, then this world will look no different because we've been in it. Our mission on this earth is to make Jesus, the bread of life, known, to make it seem, to, to, to show that he is fulfilling, that he satisfies, that he is exactly what they need, just like the best meal you've ever had. So church, as we take communion today, remember that Jesus is like manna from heaven, giving you exactly what you need. That he's giving you exactly what you desire, that he will satisfy you. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger again. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, <clears throat> what you have done for us is undeserved. You say that you came to serve, not to be served, and pay a ransom for many. And so God, that's what we do as we Remember it now. As we enter this time of response, I pray that above all things that once again we would taste and see that you are ultimately good and that everything that we've been chasing will leave us empty. God, today as we come to your table, God, help us to see that it is the greatest routine we could ever participate in. That as we gather together and commune together, that we would once again see that Jesus, you will fulfill all things. It's in your name we pray, amen.